0: Just a quick note, uh, there's a misprint in our bulletin. The psalm we're going to be looking at this morning is Psalm 88, not Psalm 10, but the words are right. We just got the inscription wrong. So uh, this uh, past week, I I, I bumped into an article online that, that immediately grabbed my attention. And the title of the article was, The Psalms Dare Us to Bring Our Whole Selves Before God. And it was written by Tish Harrison Warren and uh, in this in this article, she talks about our emotional life, and she says, "You know the philosopher Martha Newsbaum uh, points out that emotions are actually something that inform us about realities in life that they actually she calls them hot cognitions they, they, they often tell us something true about about the world around us, what to be afraid of, what is wrong right They're, They play an important role in our life, but On the other hand, emotions can overwhelm us. Like a raging river that jumps the banks and becomes a destructive flood. And this is what she writes. Emotions can be destructive forces if they jump the banks, if they overwhelm all else, determine the whole course of our lives, dictate our responses to others, or become centered as the only true or real thing about our experience of life. And she goes on to remark that... Emotions, like everything else in our life, need to be discipled. But here's the thing. We don't disciple our emotions by stuffing them. We disciple our emotions by knowing how to direct them. And this is where the Psalms are such a great gift of God to us. Because they're not given to us just to express ourselves. They're given to us to shape and direct our emotional life. And we've been getting into some messy stuff the past few weeks in this brief series that we're doing called Words for the Way. Uh, We've looked at words for when we've done, done wrong, or the alternate title was words for waking up in Vegas. Words for when you're feeling guilt and shame because of things you have done. We looked last week at words for when you've been wronged. Words for our anger. When we have really suffered harm at the hands of somebody else, an injustice. And we're having our emotions discipled by God giving us words to use in those circumstances. This morning, we're going to be looking at words for when everything seems wrong. And that is Psalm 88, which we could also call words for the darkness. Now, one scholar said this is the saddest psalm in the whole Psalter. And you may notice uh, the last verse of Psalm 88, some translations... Put it this way: Darkness is my only friend. If you think Christianity is shallow, if you think Christianity can't really handle uh, the the hard things in life, you need to listen to this psalm. It's a gift to us. The Bible connects with even the darkest places in our soul. God gives us words when for when everything feels wrong. So, with that in mind, let's give our attention to the reading of Psalm eighty-eight.
1: like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word, and that in your word you give us words to say back to you. And we thank you for the gift of Psalm 88. We pray that you would help us to hear it, to understand it, to receive it, and that it would lead us to the roaring sea of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's uh, there's one thing we, we, we love, it's things that resolve. And uh, you can see this everywhere. We, we're we annoyed by songs that don't have an appropriate ending. We hate those books that just leave you dangling. And uh, if you notice, there was a stretch for about a decade of all these crime shows and hospital shows. And uh, they all basically had the same plot line, right? There was a problem, and then there was a false solution, and then it got worse, and, and then it resolved, right? And that's basically a summary of all the seasons of House. right? One time I was sick, and I watched like... Seven of them in a row. And I was like, it's the same plot structure every single one. But it is so darn satisfying, right? You figure it out in the end and everything gets better. And sometimes the Psalms can feel that way to us. In 10 to 20 verses, you get a complaint. You get a cry out to God. And then you get these pious words at the end and it feels like a solution. You're like, all right, all tied up in a bow, resolve." But not this Psalm. There is no resolve, there's no resolution, it's just an agonizing scream from beginning to end. He never lets up, he never cools down, he does not arrive at a satisfying conclusion. And in fact, if you look at the structure of this psalm, three times he cries out to God. He says it explicitly in verse 1, verse 9, verse 13. And three times he remains in darkness. It's as if he's saying, I am talking to God more than I ever have, and I'm getting nothing. One uh, person says that in church, we can talk about any and every problem we have except feeling distant from God. It makes people uncomfortable. Start fidgeting. And, and you notice they're starting to look for an exit from the conversation as fast as possible or... We start correcting each other's theology nervously. But this psalm says. You're going to feel this way sometimes. And you can talk to God about it. What do you do when there's no resolve? When you feel like you're hung out to dry. And when you're knocking at the door. And it doesn't feel like God's opening. When you're crying out to him. And it doesn't feel like God's listening. When everything feels wrong. When everything's gone dark. Well, that's what Psalm 88 is here for. It's words for the darkness. And I want to look at four things from this brutally honest psalm that can help us. The darkness is real. The darkness can lead you to despair, but it doesn't have to. Because the darkness is actually an occasion for growth. And in this fundamental promise... As we see this psalm in light of all the scripture, the darkness won't last forever. So let's start first with the darkness is real. Uh, There's a great temptation when people are suffering to say, it's all in your head. Cheer up. Things aren't as bad as they seem. But, But sometimes they are. And sometimes they're even worse. Psalm 88 is not a temper tantrum. He's not just having a bad day. He's being overwhelmed by the darkness in his life. Questions without answers, suffering without relief, loneliness and hopelessness and death. And this psalm is telling us there is real darkness out there. It's not all in your head. And there are some religions and philosophies and even psychologies that minimize or diminish the sadness and sorrow of our lives. And they lead you to believe that you can shoo away sadness with some positive thinking. Or you can transcend it with meditation. Or... You can smother it with pious platitudes. But biblical Christianity does not approach the darkness like that. That's not what you find in the Bible. The Bible affirms that the darkness is real, that the world is really broken, and that sadness and sorrow are here to stay until new creation. And that's why over a third of the Psalms are laments. You know what a lament is? A lament is the refusal to give God the silent treatment when it feels like God has given the silent treatment to you. We need words for the darkness because the darkness is real. And one of the, the tragedies of modern American Christianity is we've forgotten how to lament. We like happy songs, happy prayers, and happy texts in the Bible. I heard someone say the other day about a song that was going to be sung. It's like, people don't come to church to be sad. And and you know what? Uh, That's probably true in many instances. Like, I need a pick-me-up here. But if you never make room for this, it actually weakens rather than strengthens the credibility of Christianity in the modern world. One of the things I love about preaching through books of the Bible, and one of the things I love about Jess's sensibilities about the songs that she chooses for worship, is when we're going through the books of the Bible, we don't get to ignore the sad texts. We don't get to ignore the sad songs. And you might say, well, but I don't need those right now. But you, you will. And guess what? Someone else might need them at this exact moment. Uh, one of my professors from seminary, an historian, uh, wrote, a, wrote an article years ago called, What Can Miserable Christians Sing? And in it he says this, By excluding the cries of loneliness, dispossession, and desolation from its worship, the church has effectively silenced and excluded the voices of those themselves who are lonely, dispossessed, and desolate, both inside and outside the church. Look, when you've lost a loved one to cancer, when you've, uh, your friend has died through some horrible tragedy, when you're so lonely, you feel like you're dying, when you're so depressed, you, you don't feel like you can get out of bed what what should you sing? What, what should you use to give expression to your grief and your loss and your despair? What words can you grab hold of for that darkness? This is the gift of Psalm 88. God is saying, I know you're going to feel like this sometimes. And here are some words you can use to cry out to me. Sometimes uh, coming to church can feel like putting on a play where the costumes are all smiles, right, or pious platitudes, and the songs are all songs of victory. And let me be clear, we need those songs. We do. We really do. But we need more than those songs, more than just the victory songs. We need songs of sadness, songs of sorrow. We need words of darkness because the darkness is real, and the Bible affirms it. And here's where it gets a little bit harder. Darkness can lead you to despair. And I think that's often why we don't want to engage it because we're afraid it's going to take us down to the depths and we'll never find our way out. Because when the darkness outside of you begins to get inside of you, you begin to lose hope. And that's really what despair is, is the departure of hope. You feel everything is wrong and nothing is going to turn out well. And I want you to listen to the psalmist's words here as he goes into detail about how he's feeling. Death is knocking at his door. Verse 3, my life draws near to Sheol. He's thinking he's about to die, and in some sense, he feels like he's already dead. It's like he's saying, I feel more dead than alive right now, emotionally, internally, lifeless. In verse 4, he says, I am a man who has no strength. I feel done. I want to quit. I don't think I can go on any longer. His friends have let him down. Verse 8 and verse 18. As he's facing the darkest moments of his life, he feels all alone. Now maybe his friends didn't know what to say, so they just avoided him. Or maybe they were horrified by what he was saying and shamed him for feeling like this. And if there's one thing I hear again and again in pastoral ministry when people are in the midst of darkness is... No one seems to care. No one understands. No one is there for me. And it wasn't just the circumstances of life that were dark and difficult. For the psalmist, he's gone dark inside. It's almost like he's lost any sense of God's love or God's care for him. Almost. We see hints of this in the three distinct cries he makes to God. Verse 1, verse 9, verse 13. And this gets a little rough, but listen, listen up. He complains to God in the dark. Look at what he says. He says, I pray every day and every night, but you don't hear me and you never answer me. It's like my prayers never reach you. Won't you listen? That's verses 1 and 2. Verse 6, you've put me in impossible situations and then left me all alone. Verse 7, you've overwhelmed me with your waves of wrath. I'm in over my head and I can't catch my breath. And notice he's saying, you, you, you have done this. That's his complaint. And then he ratchets it up. He argues with God in verses 9 through 12. He makes a case. He says, God, I'm ready to praise you. That's what you want, isn't it? My praise. But how can I do that if I'm dead? And he begins to throw God's promises back in his face. What will people say about your steadfast love? How is your righteousness going to be seen if I'm swallowed up by this darkness? That's verses 11 and 12. And that's the argument he's making. And then finally, he asks agonizing questions of God in 13 through 18. And verse 14 is a great summary of them. Why are you giving up on me? Why are you hiding? Tell me, please. I mean, this this psalmist is being brutally honest. It's like he's saying to God, God, I want to be close to you. But you feel so far away. And how does that help anybody? You're hurting me. You're hurting me. You're hurting me. Now, I know some of you right now are extremely uncomfortable. And you want to say you can't talk that way to God. But, but here it is in God's word, words given to us to use. The Bible never encourages you to pretend. It encourages you to be honest before his face. Now, maybe you're not going through the dark night of the soul right now, but I bet that you know someone who is maybe sitting right next to you this morning. And this Psalm gives us reason to listen to the laments of others, to use our ears and not our lips. It's good to be quiet and listen. And that's exactly what we find God doing in this psalm. A listening ear can be a great gift to someone in the darkness. When someone goes dark inside, they don't need our explanations. They don't need our fancy theological arguments. They definitely don't need condescending advice. They need patience and they need presence. And do you know what else they need? They need to know that there are other people who have been through this. And that's why God gave us Psalm 88. Here's an example. The Bible is not shallow. It connects with the darkest places of our hearts, the places prone to despair. And darkness can lead us there, but it doesn't have to. And I don't believe it led the psalmist there either. And that leads to the third thing I want us to talk about, which is darkness can actually be an occasion for great growth. Now, it sounds incredibly strange to say, but did you know that plants grow fastest in the dark? And I had to double check myself on this because I've heard that before, but in the daylight they absorb the nutrients, but it it is in the dark that the growth takes place. These phytochromes detect the darkness and it stimulates the production of growth hormone, causing the plant to stretch out in search of light. And it is no different spiritually that sometimes we need to experience the darkness in order to catalyze our spiritual energies. You may read Psalm 88 and think, this is a psalm of unbelief. But the psalmist is complaining to God, questioning, arguing, doubting. But don't miss the fact, he's crying out to him. And that is a cry of faith. However faint, however weak, however beaten down it may seem. We said that despair is the departure of hope. And we know what that's like in our lives. You, You begin to flee from desire because desire gets disappointed. And it's a self-protective move. That's what cynicism really is, by the way. It's flight from desire. You've been burned too many times. You've been disappointed over and over again that you decide, I'm just not even going to desire. I don't want to be vulnerable. And I can't allow myself to hope again. But here's the psalmist, once again, going to God. A sign of faith, an inkling of desire. A smidgen of hope, and that's enough. The psalmist doesn't say, I'm done with you, God. He's digging his heels in. He's desperately crying out. He's clinging to the one that feels like is assaulting him. And he's going, God, I I know you're not like this. Show me. Help me understand. You know, older uh, writers used to say, that sometimes God withdraws his presence to shatter our delusions of a satisfying life apart from him. It leads us to deeper longing. It leads us to stretch out like a plant in search of light. It helps shake us out of our complacency and sends us seeking after him. And maybe another way to put that is this. God often means the most to you when everything else is failing. I believe that Psalm 88 bears witness to this reality and uh, this isn't printed in your, uh, in your bulletin, uh, but, you know, we have had these psalms passed down to us with little inscriptions attached that some of the scribes attached to give a setting for the psalm or a, a tribute uh, authorship. And one of the things that, it, that is attached to Psalm 88 is that these are the these are part of the psalms of the sons of Korah, which were a group of musicians, wrote a whole bunch of psalms. And there was a man named Heman who was one of them. He wrote this psalm. It's the only one that made it into the Bible of his. And it's puzzling because it's like he's publicizing the most painful journal entry he ever wrote. You know, the other guys could have said, yeah, um, Heman, thanks uh, for this. It's not getting in. But they didn't. Because he had a community of people who sang with him in his sadness. He had a community of people who knew that this was a season of life and knew that engaging with God in the dark, that experiencing that darkness was part of the process of spiritual growth. Do you know how important this is to know that you can be brutally honest with God? And that's often the tipping point to some great spiritual discovery. And that's true, even if you're not yet a Christian. There was uh, an article in 2016 written by Nicole Cliff, and it was called How God Messed Up My Happy Atheist Life. (laughs) It was the story of her conversion. And this is what she writes. I became a Christian on July 7, 2015, after a very pleasant adult life of firm atheism. I had no untapped or unanswered yearnings. I didn't wish to believe. She was completely content in her unbelief. Until one day, she wasn't. During a very difficult time, a time of darkness, where she was deeply worried about the life of her child, she found herself saying, be with me to an empty room. And that was the beginning. Because there really was someone who heard, someone who cared, and someone who could do something about it. And Nicole Cliff said that she pretty soon became a person who began to relentlessly feel her feelings in the presence of God. And you know where it led her? It led her to Jesus. Jesus. Most of us are afraid to relentlessly feel our feelings in the presence of God. But if you don't, you will never grow like you could. You will never change in the ways that you could. Darkness can lead to despair, but it doesn't have to. Darkness could be the thing that makes you grow like nothing else. But how do we learn how to trust God in the dark? When everything seems wrong and there's no resolve. And here is God's promise. And this is how Psalm 88 sits Within the whole story of Scripture. God's promise is this. The darkness won't last forever. Heman feels abandoned, left alone in the dark. That's why he's saying, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Darkness is my only friend. But Heman began the psalm calling him God of my salvation. You know, there was another who talked the way Heman talked. And it might surprise you, there's another who felt the way Heman felt. And you know who it was? It was Jesus, the Son of God. He says, as he's on his way to the cross, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. He cries out, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. And God didn't answer. And we are told that there was darkness all over the land. And then he cries out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is a quote from another psalm, Psalm 22. But he could have easily quoted Psalm 88. And here's the thing, when Haman when prayed Psalm 88, it was metaphorical. But when Jesus prayed Psalm 88, it's literal. He was truly abandoned by his friends And experienced abandonment by his father. He truly had the waves of God's wrath overwhelming him. He really went down to Sheol. Really went into the depths of the grave. And because God the Father did not answer Jesus' prayer. He will always answer yours. Maybe not now. Maybe not tomorrow. But he will even if you must wait until resurrection. Jesus burst forth from the grave, scattering the darkness with glorious light. And the New Testament says that is the birth of new creation in the midst of the old. The resurrection is the resolve that your heart and my heart longs for. It is the light scattering the darkness. And the rhetorical questions of verses 10 through 12, they are given an answer by God. And the answer is resurrection. Resurrection is how the sadness is going to resolve. Resurrection is how the darkness will depart. Resurrection is how everything wrong will be put right. The dead in Christ will rise to praise him, will rise to declare his steadfast love. What is lost will be restored. What is broken will be mended. What is sick will be healed. What is wrong will be made right. Loneliness is going to come to an end. Every tear is going to be wiped away. Every sorrow overcome with joy. The darkness will be completely swallowed by the light. The Christian hope is a hope so big it's going to take resurrection to fulfill it. And when God's plan comes to full fruition, it'll blow our minds. It'll be better than we hoped. There is one who hears, one who cares, one who is good, one who will save. A few years ago, uh, I brought a, a children's book. And uh, the title of the book is The Moon is Always Round. It's written by uh, a theologian by the name of Jonathan Gibson, And the genesis of that book was a a little catechism, a question-answer exercise that he wrote for his son, Benjamin. And the catechism he wrote goes like this. Benjamin, what shape is the moon tonight? Benjamin would look up and he would answer according to what shape the moon was. The moon is a crescent moon. The moon is a half moon. The moon is a gibbous moon. I don't even know if I said that right. The moon is a full moon. And then the next question What shape is the moon always? The moon is always round. What does that mean, Benjamin? It means God is always good. And little did Jonathan Gibson know how important that catechism would become to his family. Because not too long after writing this, his wife gave birth to a stillborn child that they named Layla. And Jonathan brought little Benjamin to the hospital to say goodbye. And Benjamin gave his stillborn sister, Layla, his favorite toy giraffe, Beza. And on the way home that note, little Benjamin asked his dad, Daddy, will mommy ever grow a baby that wakes up? And his dad said, I don't know. And then Benjamin asked, why isn't Layla coming home with us? And his dad said, Jesus called her home and she went to him. And Benjamin asked, will Layla come to us after a day with Jesus in heaven? And his dad told him that when you meet Jesus, you don't want to go anywhere else. Benjamin then asked, does Layla not like us? Don't you just love the questions of kids? (laughs) She does like us. She just likes Jesus more. (laughs) This dad's doing great, right? (laughs) And then Benjamin asked, but why is Layla not coming home with us? And his dad broke down in tears and said, Ben, I don't really know why. And then the car went silent, and Jonathan Gibson tried to choke back the tears. And then he remembered the catechism he taught his son. What shape is the moon tonight? The moon is a half moon. What shape is the moon always? The moon is always round. What does that mean? God is always good. How do we know that God is always good? It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ That is the definitive mark of God's goodness. What God will bring about through the seed of Christ's death and resurrection is better than anything that we can plan for ourselves. And it actually begins to change the way that we handle our sadness and suffering. We are loved. And the death and resurrection of Jesus is proof of it. The darkness won't last forever. But you can be brutally honest. There is one who hears and wants to listen. There is one who cares and will act. There is one who will ultimately scatter the darkness forever. The darkness is real and God gives us words for the darkness. I began by mentioning that article by Tish Harrison Warren. That the Psalms dare us to bring our whole selves before God. And she ends by talking about how the Psalms give us banks. Banks that direct the flow of our emotions away from self-worship and narcissism and towards God himself. They tutor us in honesty and they center us on God and his work in the world. And they allow us to locate our own story within God's larger story of redemption. And I love that imagery because banks are what keeps a river flowing in the direction it's intended to go. And Tish Harrison Warren writes, Psalms allow our inner life with all its variegated currents and twists and turns to find its culmination in the roaring sea of God's love. Psalm 88 is a gift, and if we receive it and use it and let it shape us, it will lead us to the roaring sea of God's love that is on full display in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we come to you and Lord, sometimes it just feels like we're crying out and you're not listening. And we're hurting and you're not coming to our side. And everything is going wrong in the world and the darkness is overwhelming us. We thank you for these words that you gave us to cry out to you and for the way that they lead us to your answer in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So God, we pray that you would help us to have our emotional life steward, stewarded into your presence, that you actually would use the darkness that we experience to grow us in faith and hope and love and that you would lead us to the roaring sea of your love where we are healed. Lord, only you can do this. So we pray that by your spirit, you'd be at work through your word in our hearts right now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.